Hello there, you're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be talking about one of the most striking sci-fi films of the century, Blade Runner 2049, which coincidentally is one of our the favorite films of our guest, Owen West. Hi, I'm Owen. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming on. And of course, it's not a coincidence at all. We planned this specifically because you <laughs> are a big, massive fan of Blade Runner 2049. And we've, in the past like months, we've been talking about Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. We've been circling around it. So it's good that we finally get to have a deep dive into it. Definitely. I'm really excited. <laughs> Super Bowl happened this past weekend. Did you guys watch it? The actual game? No, I was over. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't even know it was happening until like halfway through the game. <laughs> to be fair, that was me as well. I was like, what? The game is actually, it's this weekend? Yeah. And then quickly put together a small little viewing party. Was it just you and Mason? To attend. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Us and Roger. Um, That's fun though. Like I would have gone if I didn't have work. I promise you. Yeah, uh, but the game was actually good. It's weird. The games have been pretty good lately. Like, I only really pay attention mm. during the playoffs, and I always check to see if the Dolphins are in it, but they never are. No. So that's that. They've you, always been uh, pr- pretty close. Did you what? put money on a team, Ryan? No. Well, I was telling Mason. I was like, we used to do bets back in the day. Yeah, that would have been fun. We didn't. He had the Bengals. Oh. He did not win. <laughs> That's funny. So, I would have put money in the Rams. I would have bet Mason. And then I would have yeah. won. I would have taken some of his vast amounts of cash. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted the Rams because, yeah, he doesn't need all that cash. Um, I wanted the Rams because they were, it was their home stadium. And could you imagine oh, yeah. them losing, especially a closed game, and they lose in the final few minutes? That would be a travesty. And Matthew Stafford, the quarterback, he was at the Detroit Lions forever. So he finally needed a good team. And got a Super Bowl ring, so good for him. This is not a sports podcast. We're going to switch to (laughs) the ads that we're playing in the Super Bowl, which were trailers for some upcoming movies, one of which was Jurassic World. Were you able to catch that? It came out like a couple days before the Super Bowl, but then they threw it up for the ad. What's your reaction to that? Um... I want to be excited for it because I really like the original Jurassic Park and I am excited that Sam Neill and um, Laura Dern are back and that Jeff Goldblum is hopefully has a much larger role in this one than he did in Fallen Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I don't know. I'm going into it optimistic, but with caution because I don't know if i trust them at this point to do like a good story and like a really solid movie but i could be wrong you know and Did i'm you like open. jurassic world parts of it i'm a little mixed parts on it. it okay <laughs> gotcha i like jurassic world mm-hmm. i thought fallen kingdom was pretty bad Dylan, you haven't <laughs> even seen fallen kingdom yet i'm gonna right? watch it i'm gonna watch all of them in preparation for uh this new jurassic world yeah because well, we're uh, doing a 
we can I'm kind of excited. Yeah, we're supposed to do a show on the trilogies. We can see if we want to end up doing that, but I think it'd be fun. Yeah. At least to talk about the original Jurassic Park, because that is mm-hmm. such a phenomenal movie. It I'm is. glad to bring it I was watching back. it yesterday. I don't uh, know why I was watching it yesterday, but I holds was. Holds up, right? Yeah. Very good. Uh, so, Dylan, did you end up seeing the trailer? Or you? I saw it before the Super saying? Bowl, and uh, I liked a lot of parts of it, but I didn't like... I didn't like... I guess it's just one scene. I guess it's nitpicky, but it's when uh, Sam Neill and uh, Chris Pratt say the same line in reference to the T-Rex. Right. I thought it was just so hammed up and so cheesy and I'm, it's just it's the thing they always do every time they break back a franchise is they reference every line that was popular and i'm like bro just do something new you yeah. can bring back the characters but it was just so annoying yeah it was bad. a little odd too yeah like what you were going for there was it was strange um yeah i am excited for it we talked about that last week i think so yeah mm-hmm. uh the other movie was nope which we got a teaser of it and it doesn't really make sense. I don't know. Nope. It's a angry cloud or something, or a tornado. <laughs> thing. Something is sucking people off the earth. Aliens. <laughs> I'm very confused. It's aliens, you think? Yes. What makes oh, you think it's yeah. not aliens? Why are aliens? It's it's like causing a windstorm down there. Why are aliens doing that? I don't know. I have no explanation. But did you see the lady when the the she's wearing like a hat and it blows up and she has an alien face? Miss that part. You missed that part. Go rewatch she had an it. Alien you, face. Yeah. yeah, it's really creepy looking, and it actually yeah. like it's it's cool. Like I like the way it's designed. You should go yeah. watch it. Yeah, her okay, lips are like they're, they're like receded, and you can see her gums and her teeth are yeah. like really gnarly looking. Yeah, you know when you go to the dentist and they put the thing in your mouth. Yeah, what if she like just had a, up your lips? A bad trip to the dentist. What if that's uh, what it was? And now you're calling her an alien? I mean, that would be a really bad trip to the <laughs> dentist, man. Like, get your money back kind of kind of bad trip. It's, it's like you everything could've... they could have done done wrong, they did wrong there. <laughs> but that'd be a true horror as well. Yeah, I say nope to that dentist trip. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. The other one was Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, their second trailer. Mm-hmm. Were you able to catch that one? I did. Still, uh, it makes think? me a little more excited than I was before. It was better than okay. the first trailer. <laughs> We're slightly off the floor now for your excitement level. It's weird <laughs> that Patrick Stewart is in it. Yeah. it's. I don't know why they would. Like, at some points, I just wish they wouldn't do it, even though they can. Even though someone gave him a whole bag of cash and he said, sure, I'll do it. Just don't. Just leave it be. Just be done with the character. Let the character rest. Play, bring James McAvoy in and let him do it. He's getting older. Yeah. You know, just let him age into the role. Let Patrick exactly. Stewart rest. And he, I, like he's I doing am, Picard again, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, 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 I hope that um, if they do bring them in, that they bring in McAvoy and Fassbender instead of casting... Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen again, because I actually really love them as Xavier and Magneto. And like you were saying, they could easily age into the roles over time and it would just be really cool. Um, I'm excited though, because um, I'm assuming that they're variants based on like what they did with Loki and that it's going to be the council, of the Illuminati. So I think that would be interesting. Um, 
obviously I don't know if that's what they're actually doing, but if they did, that'd be really cool. If it was like an alternate universe version of a lot of the characters coming together, being like, Hey, don't mess with the multiverse. Yeah, it but, seems like um, that will be the case and they'll have a lot of fun bringing in a lot of cameos. Hopefully yeah. it won't bog it down too much. I like the yeah, idea of it not. being very much centered on like Dr. Strange and Wanda and them being at odds. But yeah, they also yeah. had uh, Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Power, our first real look at that. Would you think, Dylan, were you able to see it? I did. It just makes me want to watch the originals again. And I don't really, <laughs> like I, I'm OK. I'm interested in the show. Maybe I'll give it a, a watch if it gets good reviews. But it just really makes me want to watch the originals more than anything. Owen, did you say I- it? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it like I don't want to like like I agree. It's like if it gets good reviews, I'll check it out. But I don't know. It, it seems like you're touching a franchise that you've already proven returning to does not succeed. So why are you trying to go back to it again? And it also this is this is just me for aesthetic. It looks too clean. I agree. Yeah, it's I like, noticed that as well. It looked. Yeah, like very. It just looks like a product, polished. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. Looks like a product. It's like comparing like the last season of Game of Thrones to the first season of Game of Thrones. Oh, it God. just seems so, so commercialized as opposed yeah. to artistic, which is sad. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then speaking of Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, he's now a billionaire. He's the mm. third filmmaker to hit the billionaire status. After Spielberg and George Lucas, how did he get this money? Not from doing a film specifically, but he sold his VFX company, Weta Digital. First time hearing of that. But you've never heard of Weta? Really? No, I have not. Mm. I mean, I'm not well versed in VFX stuff anyway, but they're a huge company. Like they're the big in, in in the the revolutionizing of CGI technology. They were big because of Lord of the Rings, and they did a bunch of stuff with King Kong with Peter Jackson. They were just huge. They made a bunch of stuff that they're just like legends in the industry. Okay, name me anything why, other than what Peter Jackson did. Any I'm film other I don't than know. Peter I don't know anything okay. about them. Well, there you go. But I know That's that they're legends in the industry. I watch. Uh, I watch. I watch. I don't discredit that. Good. <laughs> I'm just saying, never heard of him. Never saw a big weighted digital thing pop up on the screen, or at least long enough for me to impress it into my mind. Yeah. But somebody knew that they were legendary, and they paid a whole lot of money for it, $1.6 billion, and Peter Jackson personally got $600 million from that, and then another $375 million in stocks. So my man is good for life. He's done. Yeah, I mean, Damn. honestly... I would just sell those stocks and just cash in, bro, and just say, that's it, I made my money. I can do whatever the fuck I want now. Yeah, and reinvest in GameStop. Bro, you know how many movies he could make with that money if he just made, like, really small-budget movies? The dude could literally do, like, anything artistically that he wants for the rest of his life now. Like Or you he, could make, like, he could make, like, six really big movies. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Just six really, really big movies. And then still $375 million just to relax on. Not not saying that he wouldn't profit off of those movies. He like a hundred percent produced. If you put a hundred million dollars into a Peter Jackson movie, you'll probably get like close to a billion out of it. 
So, I mean, he could, like, capitalize, probably, if he wanted to make bigger movies. But, I mean, that's so much work, though. Yeah. I don't know why he'd want to do that. Making movies? <laughs> Who'd want to do that? Like, he already uh, did, I mean, like, big movies. He already did three Lord of the Rings and three Hobbits and King Kong. Does he want to do more big movies? I feel like he's tired. Well, he Those wants to do more Beatles work. documentaries. That'd be cool, <laughs> yeah. I'm down for it. He also yeah. did that, um, the They Shall Not Grow Old. Which they yeah, definitely seems oh, like yeah. that's more like what he wants to do now because he did even like smaller films. He did like Lovely Bones felt like he was making himself make it bigger than it should have been. So I feel like I now agree. he's kind of trying to shrink down a little bit and do like smaller, more intimate projects. But that's mm-hmm. obviously I don't know the man, but. <laughs> gotcha. OK, moving on, we have the Oscar hosts were announced. And it was a group of people nobody was really anticipating or wanting. <laughs> Amy Schumer was the first one with Wanda Sykes and Regina Hall hosting alongside her. What are your thoughts? I mean, I said it before and I'll say it again. Wanda Sykes is just going to be carrying that hosting duty. Like she's the only <laughs> thing that's really going to sell that for me. I really wish they had just done no host at this point. Like... <laughs> Just do or that they, again. They should have done Tom Holland as the host. I mean, that was all the buzz. He's starring in a new film that's right around the corner, coming off the heels of the biggest film in years. It would make so much sense to do that. But then they got three people who just aren't draws, and one of which is actively disliked by many people. Just doesn't make what? sense. All right. You literally said Amy Schumer, and I was like, my brain blanked. I was like, excuse me, what? Did you block Amy Schumer out of your mind, or were you just so shocked? I, at I was so her shocked being... <laughs> at her being the host. I was like, I thought she was like done now. Like we were like, okay, you had fun. Go and live your life happily. No, like, she is back. And she is hosting the Oscars. Oh my goodness. Maybe, Very yeah. curious choice. Maybe they are the, the combination that we least expected, but will perform the best. Maybe they are the perfect complements of each other and will kill it. I have no idea. We'll see. Yeah. I, mean, I have hope. It, I suppose it's possible, but the idea is to get viewers to actually see it. No one's going to come in to see them where they kill it or not. Yeah, that's my thing. It, it feels like they're desperate to get viewers. But it also seems like they don't really know what to do to be relevant anymore. Um, obviously, since their viewers, their viewership keeps going down and maybe somebody's like, we should have a host again, even though people who actually watch the Oscars have been happily enjoying them not having a host. Because it's, I don't know, I feel like it's more fun when there's no host because then you have more guests and it doesn't feel like you're constantly having to cut back to one person and then getting like a mini comedy routine that may or may not be funny. And then it's like, just show me the awards. You're right. It's like, it's, it's like I came here for the awards and I want to go to bed. I think it'd be sure. funny if you got two really good comedians to do like football commentary during the awards instead of hosting. They're, like, sitting <laughs> in a, they're sitting in a booth way in the back and they're just like drawing the plays of how they're going to walk up to the, to the podium. <laughs> and they're like doing like shots and they're showing the MVP, of the Oscars. I think that'd be fun. It should be Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg should do that. Oh my god! They have their own yes. little show now. <laughs> they Is do good? stuff like that all the time. I mean, it's okay. I've only seen clips, but that would be a funny thing for Snoop Dogg would be funny. Yeah. I don't know about Kevin Hart. 
You don't think Kevin Hart is funny? You don't think he has the capacity to make jokes? Nah, not so much. I'm not on the Kevin Hart train, really. Gotcha. Just can't help it. Well, I think he'd be a popular choice because people are still he's making he's, movies and people are still in love. Yeah, with I think it. he's funny in movies, but I've seen his stand up and it just does not work. His older stand up's good. Mm. Like the one that got him <laughs> big. Still not a big fan of that either. Very quality. Yeah. That's fine. Um <laughs> Blade Runner twenty ninety nine is a supposed series that is in development at Amazon with Ridley Scott involved. So look at that. Wow. Funny that we're having this episode now because they're going to try to build a sequel series off of it. Owen, what are your reactions to that? I really want to be excited for it because I love Blade Runner 2049 and I think it truly is a great universe to build a series off of. But I'm also in the mindset, um, like Dylan kind of mentioned earlier, where he's like, why don't you just do something new? And so on the one hand, it's like, I want it to be good. And I hope it's good because I don't want them to make anything Blade Runner related and it not be good. And then be like, well, then why'd you make it? Because now there really is no point to it. Um, But at the same time, kind of like Blade Runner 2049 was such a perfect ending to the story of Blade Runner and like a perfect little just just a great end to that sort of universe in my opinion so i don't know like i'm kind of excited but at the same time i'm like it um i don't know why they're making it i guess is the best way to go about it like i don't see any reason for you to continue the story but they could surprise me and if they do that's great right i think what they're thinking is i mean series are all the rage right now and the movies did not do well for them. They did not perform well at the box office. So they're thinking maybe if it has time to breathe and people are able to really get into the mindset of watching a long-term thing, mm-hmm. then maybe that'll make it more popular and well-received. But I think I would prefer, if they were to do something else, I would want it to be another movie installment just because I like having that nice bookended feel but both those movies are very immersive they have that slow pace but if you get drawn into it you're with it you're there so i'd prefer that to a series which i don't know i just would not want them to go on tangents that because they have a series they can feel okay now we can explore this thing but then they overdo it and get away from and the actual personal story of whatever the characters and if it's 2099 then we're not going to have any of the characters we have presently so it'd be weird to yeah create this series in the same world but it's completely distant from anything else that came before it i don't know a little strange but yeah yeah we'll see if it actually comes to fruition and it might be might be good i mean ridley scott is involved so at least it'll have some passion behind it so yeah I'm just gonna make a quick a quick prediction. How much you want to bet that like Deckard's great grandchild or someone is gonna be a character, but you're not gonna find out until partway through the series that they're related, and it's gonna be like a big reveal. Probably. I mean, of course. Yeah. Which would be stupid, but they're gonna do it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Now for the box office breakdown for the weekend of February 12th to the 14th, 
Is that right? 11 to the 13th, I think. Yeah, uh, I don't know what you're doing. That's I'm confused. Crazy. 14th Death, was yesterday, which was a Monday. Yes. Death on the Nile took first place with 12.9 million, although it could not compare to Murder on the Orient Express's opening of 28.7. After that was Jackass Forever with 8 million. And Marry Me, the film with J-Lo and Owen Wilson, 8 million. Spider-Man with 7.5 million. Say it, Dylan. Say what's written underneath. <laughs> that is only a 20% drop in its ninth week, which is very impressive hold for Spider-Man as it continues to tr- trample my <laughs> box office draft. Thank Damn. you for that Weeks very honest after we reporting. Have finished this. <laughs> uh, Blacklight, which is, I think, a Liam Neeson film. Yeah, yeah, like you're a right. random action film from him. Three point five million. Scream with three million. That brings his domestic total to seventy three. Moonfall also with three million had a hefty seventy percent drop. God damn! And it's in seventh place now. It was number two last week. So Moonfall. Dead on arrival. Not doing great. Licorice Pizza with one million. The Beatles get back the rooftop concert with five hundred thousand. And the King's Man with four hundred and twenty six thousand. Pretty pretty slow weekend. Yeah, not great. But next weekend, hopefully it'll pick up a bit. It's President's Day weekend, and we got two new releases. We have first Uncharted. Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg finally bring this to the screen. The industry projections are 25 to 35 million. Dylan, what say you? I'm feeling a solid 28. I feel like they could get up there. There's nothing else big this weekend. It's a well-known property. It's got two big stars right now, Tom Holland in particular. I think it could do good. I'm pro- I have to say it because we're talking about it next week. So I will be there watching it. Yeah, we'll be boosting up the opening numbers. Yeah. Owen, do you have any predictions? Or will you be... Helping out the opening box office. Um, I actually do think I'm gonna go see Uncharted <laughs> just because I have a list, so I'm like, why not? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not expecting much, but I am gonna agree with Dylan. I think it's probably gonna make around 28 million. I think it's gonna be exactly where they say it's gonna be. Because so you guys think that Uncharted will make slightly less than Murder on the Orient Express in its opening of 28.7? Yes, probably. <laughs> What times were in that Uncharted? <laughs> we'll make less what, than that. What time of year did Orient Express release? Because this is February, man. Probably February, and we're still in a pandemic era, technically. That's true. And also, it's a video game but movie that doesn't even look that good. I will I remind you that uh, Black Panther came out in February, and it got $200 million. Well, that's a Again, Marvel that was pre-pandemic. They we always that, make but, big movies. Well, still, but that's a big movie, fran- well, big video game franchise for Uncharted. You would think it'd be a bit more than this. this is no, dude. No. Quite sad. Everyone's uh, gonna be busy celebrating President's Day. They're not gonna go see a movie. Oh, what are you doing <laughs> celebrating President's Day? <laughs> what are you It's mean? funny, on President's Day in Barry's class, we're watching all the President's Men, which I think is funny. So I, I guess is... I will be celebrating President's Day. <laughs> that is funny. Um I would say I'm gonna go higher than y'all. I'm gonna say thirty eight million. I'm going to say it'll overperform a bit. I think we'll get a little bit of a surprise. Let's let's bet $600 and <laughs> let's and bet winner, 600 million dollars. <laughs> loser buys the winner a mattress on President's <laughs> Day. 
The sales are crazy. Apparently. <laughs> Get all your furniture, your mattresses. Uh, and then the other film, Dog, which, Dylan, what is this film about? It's about Channing Tatum, and he's taking uh, a dog across the country. That no. Is, 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 I'm not going to say it, Ryan. It's an adaptation of Dog the Bounty Hunter. No, it's not. I wish it was. It is. I also wish just it would be. Dog. I just don't know why. Like, they got to the point where they're like, okay, it's a dog movie. Just, just call, call it, dog. it Dog. Just call it Dog. Who cares? <laughs> they just lack all care. It's just sad that this is what Channing Tatum's doing right now. Like This is his comeback. Yeah. He said, I took a break, and this is how I come back. Like, I feel like he'll probably do better and with Lost City of D. Is that what it is? Or The Lost City? Just called The Lost City with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So, like, maybe he'll have a bigger comeback with that. But it's sad that this is I the think movie so. he's re-entering with his yes. dog. And it's not a dog debating her story. <laughs> Which would have been awesome. That would be it a comeback. It would have. That would have been a real comeback. Uh, So, yeah. I don't even know where to place this. His dog movies, they sometimes do well, but also... Six. I'll say six. Who's going to see it? I know Barry's going to go see it. Really? <laughs> no, I don't know, but he loves dogs. He does um, love dogs. Let's say, I'm going to say 9 million. Owen, do you okay. have any, any um, guesses for? I'm going to give a range. I'll say between 6 and 8 million. I don't see it making that much money because um, even like with A-list, I'm not planning on seeing it. Um, and I have not heard anybody talk about it. The <laughs> only reason I know it exists is because I go to the theater so much that it's always playing in the trailers. The trailers, yes. Yeah, but even then, like I also agree. I think the other movie he's doing, I'm like way more like I might go see the other one that he was in. I don't think I would see Dog unless it gets really good reviews. Somehow, I don't see that happening. But if it does, then you know, hey, maybe I'll go see it and be like, I'll support that. Be like Channing Good job. Tatum's Oscar-winning role. <laughs> that would be phenomenal which would then get him the role of dog the bounty hunter there that's the go. next logical step and they call that movie dog as well <laughs> exactly they use the same font and everything they release the same trailer <laughs> but with a different release date people are so confused that would be great alright we will now get into the main topic of Blade Runner 2049 released in 2017. It is directed by Denis Villeneuve. This is also, if he would have got nominated for an Oscar, it would have been apropos because we'd be like, hey, you got recognized for that new film. Let's talk about him. But then he didn't get nominated at all. Tragic. But great filmmaker. So he was directing this one, which definitely led to him getting Dune. Um, and his cinematographer, Roger Deakins, who did get nominated and won the Oscar for Blade Runner 2049. So that was phenomenal. And it's starring Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Ana de Armas, Jared Leto, Sylvia Hoax? Hoax? Don't know how to pronounce that. And Mackenzie Davis. It was made for $170 million. That was the budget. And it got $259 million worldwide. So it was a flop. Did not make its money back. Really but, sad. Yeah, that is sad. But those that did see it really enjoyed it, really cherish it. And Owen, we have you a big, massive fan <laughs> of this. So you can go ahead and tell us all why it's so amazing and why the world was wrong for not seeing this movie. Um, yeah, I, 
it's literally just one of those movies where I saw it twice when it came out, actually. Um, like within a week of each other. And this is back when I was like still paying every time I went to the theater to see a movie. Um, and it's just, it's just so well crafted. There's like no part of it that I can even think of where I'm like, oh, that was like very poorly done or like, oh, you should have done this differently. It's like when I watch it, it's like the script is very, very well written. It's very well directed. The acting is amazing. I also think it's a rare example of like a movie where they take elements from a film from decades ago and they use them well in the story. Like they brought back Harrison Ford, but he's not overused in the film. He doesn't even show up until like the towards the last act of the movie. And it's to serve the story because that's the point when it makes the most sense for Kay to find him and confront him thinking that he's his father and all that. And same with the, um, I always forget his name, but the guy that does the origami. I really love his scene where Kay goes to interview him about Deckard or I guess interrogate. Um, and he does a little sheep origami, um, which I love the, just the, the metaphor there not only is like an homage to, the original novel, but also for K himself, who's kind of like a sheep that just sort of does what he's told at that point in the story. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's, it's a very smart movie. And I feel like those don't get made very often with budgets this big. It's just a very intelligent, very well crafted film. And you don't usually see that at this level because usually there's just either not enough time or studios just don't, give a a $170 million budget to a movie like this. Um, So in that regard, I think it's very special and I do think it is very tragic that it didn't make any money. I'm happy that in that regard, I'm happy they're not giving up on the Blade Runner franchise because I'm like, you know, it's nice to know that even though this movie didn't make money, Warner, uh, whoever owns the rights clearly can tell that there is a love for Blade Runner and that in then that it is a good series worth continuing. So in that regard, I guess I'll re-answer the question earlier that I am kind of excited to see where they go next, only because it makes me happy that they aren't giving up on it. Very true. Yeah, Dylan, mm-hmm. what about you? Blade I mean, Runner 2049. I absolutely fell in love with this movie when I first watched it. Uh, the first Blade Runner was something that's very special to me because it was one of my dad's favorite movies, and still is he's alive and uh the way i said it, it sounded i thought, like he it, I thought <laughs> he had found a new favorite movie yeah it still is one of his favorite movies and so i was like really like looking forward to watching it and i first watched the first blade runner when i was like 12 or something and did not like i didn't even finish it like i just thought it was so boring and the way my dad describes it is one of those movies the more you watch it the more you like it and so i try to watch it again i don't think i finished it the second time either and then the third time i was able to get through the whole thing and i kind of liked it and then i watched it again and i liked it again and i watched it again and i liked it even more and so the more i see it the more i like it and it's by far one of the most visually stunning movies i've ever seen in my entire life like it's just gorgeous through and through and the fact that they were able to capitalize on that and later on in 2049 and make an even more visually stunning movie is just all credit to roger deakins it's gorgeous it's the best one of the best shot movies of all time and to me i think it has the best cgi of any movie ever made even dune i'm sorry ryan i think the cgi is gorgeous because i think it has to do with the way that it plays with the light the way 
Roger Deakins plays with the light in the CGI, I think it just comes off flawlessly. I think it's just absolutely perfect. I remember seeing this movie in theaters, the very first, the very first shot where it's uh just that sweeping overhead view of like the the farms, like the the mechanical farms, the stretch as far as I can see. I was like, it just looks real. It just looks a hundred percent real, like photo real and perfect. And it was just it immediately took me and blew me away, and I was just in that seat excited for the rest of the movie and loved it i think it's fantastic uh i think like like owen said i think the performances are all absolutely stellar particularly ryan gosling like he carries his film through and through uh i really liked when when robin wright dies like when uh when sylvia hoax's character kills robin wright and then picks up her body to, to scan her eyeball <laughs> yeah. and just her. i i just i was not expecting it it made me laugh so hard yeah that was hardcore yeah <laughs> and i love uh the way it builds up that final fight scene where they're like the in the crash ship on that uh that sort of beach on the outside of la and the waves are slowly pulling the ship out it just it's just so tense and it looks gorgeous i remember two years ago in the summer of yeah summer of 2020 i was in tim ritter's class it was the motion picture genre for uh 80s sci-fi films yes yes and one of the ones we watched was blade runner and after we watched blade runner my roommate and i we had just moved into our place we put on blade runner 2049 and that was probably the first movie we watched in our new place and we cranked the volume all the way up on the <laughs> soundbar and just blasted it and it was awesome and I had just another great experience watching it. So I love this movie through and through. Yeah, that is, since I have a new sound bar that I got a couple months ago, I was able to crank it up the other night when I was watching it. It's so, amazing, isn't it? So good. I'm going to slowly start building out, like, because Alexa has a sound bar, and I'll probably be using her sound bar for a while. And I'm just going to, like, start getting more subwoofers and, like, uh smaller speakers and then have create like surround five, i'll probably do a 5.1 surround sound whenever i am able to and i'm just live like <laughs> at the peak of existence exactly so yeah blast the marvelous Ms. Maisel, just <laughs> high end i don't know if it'd fit that show but it definitely fit this film i mean you need that experience mm -hmm. through the sound and through the visuals like oh uh, i wish because i didn't see it in theaters oh the first shot when it was doing when it was going over those oh, like sun uh, power plant fields i was like i wish this was it was a so cool in the theaters i think i went yeah. with my dad it was so cool dude i always think about like the movies that came out in the 70s and the 80s and i'm like i'm so jealous that i wasn't alive to see these in the theaters like my dad could see these things like star wars and the original blade runner and things like that and then I look at things like Blade Runner 2049, I'm like, I was alive to see that in theaters when it came out. And I'm so glad that I was because it's awesome. Like, yeah. my kids will be crying. They're going to be so <laughs> jealous. They didn't get to see Blade Runner 2049 in theaters. Yeah. Well, I will be crying with them because <laughs> sadly, still haven't that experience. <laughs> I'm going to so, buy, we'll rent a theater for your birthday, Ryan, and we'll watch Blade Runner 2049. No, let's do it. Because, yeah, it, even still, even on my little TV, it, was phenomenal i mean visually stunning it's by far the most obvious thing that you can pick up on when thinking about 2049 cinematography across the board phenomenal 
take any still image of any shot, any scene, and it's you could put it on a wall. It's fantastic. And I particularly love the Wallace Corporation when in like any room we're in there. There's always mm-hmm. something funky going on with the lights, but particularly the one where it's the shimmering light reflection on mm-hmm. the walls from the water. So gorgeous, man. I was in love with that stuff. I love that. I love hearing Roger Deakins talk about it. He talks about how yeah. you want to make that whole environment seem lifelike with all the wood on the inside and all the, the water and nature flowing through it. And like give it that sort of like like creation of life kind of vibe, even though it's the like almost antithesis of that, that they're creating artificial life and playing God in that sense. And I just love just hearing him talk about the choices he makes is just so invigorating. Yeah. He truly is a master. Like, where does he talk about this stuff? He has a podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Is there a specific episode where he talks about Blade Runner twenty four nine? I think so. He also throughout? there are also YouTube clips where people just interview Roger Deakins and he talks about it. Yes, I would love to hear more about that. He's just a genius. Yeah, genius work for sure. Uh, but then, so that like just in a pure like sensory level, amazing film, but. As we were touching on before, through the performances, the characters, them touching on the original themes of the original Blade Runner and carrying that forward in new ways, like with Kay specifically being a replicant, knowing he's a replicant. We're going through the story and it's him trying to figure out, oh, well, maybe am I something more than replicant? Am I special? And then slowly learning how that also is not the case. so talk a bit about that, Owen, because you mentioned that was also one of the highlights of this film for you was a strong character arc for him. Yeah, the um, I just I love the idea of his character where, like you were saying, he knows he's a replicant and he knows that there's there's really nothing special about him as far as he's concerned at the beginning of the story. He just goes about what, you know, whatever you would call your life as a replicant and tries to exist i guess it most comfortably um you know he has joy which makes him brings him a little bit of happiness and then <laughs> you should have said joy you should have just gone for it there you go just hit it on the nose joy <laughs> brought him joy there we go <laughs> um and but then he you know like you were saying he finds out that maybe there is something more special about him from his memories which up to this point he's perceived as oh, like these are just implants and they're made up and then they all matter. But then he realizes that they are real and he gets that confirmation at the memory at the, from the, uh, the memory maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love from there, it's like full steam ahead. He's fully convinced that he is the replicant child. And he's like, I need to find Deckard who he thinks is his father. I need to figure out what's going on. What happened with this whole deal? Like, how did you do this type of thing? Um, and then it just sort of explodes. And I love at the end when he finds out that it is not him. Because in that moment, it's like you take this character who already perceived themselves as nothing special. And for the briefest of moments, thought that they had a purpose in life beyond just being told what to do and hunting down. Basically just hunting down his own kind. Um, and just having to live with that because that's just the way things are in the future for replicants and then realizing that no you truly did don't matter in the grand scheme of things you're only here as like a decoy and also you need to go kill this man who you have 
for a decent amount of this movie perceived to be your father. And then just bagging on him even more, him walking through the streets and there's that great scene where he sees the advertisement for joy and realizes in that moment that even like the closest connection he had to some, to someone in that universe also meant nothing because joy is designed to just tell him what he wants to hear. And like, you know, even like the advertisement says pretty much the same thing that his version of her said to him. So as real as that may have felt and as real as it may have been to the AI in the grand scheme of things, she was just programmed for that. And I feel like that's the moment where he truly realizes that it's sort of like him coming to terms with the fact that he up until this point has done nothing but follow orders and do what is meant to be done with like his role in life. And he decides that he's not going to do that anymore. And I love that, that he just goes balls to the wall. I'm going to save Deckard and I'm going to, I'm going to reunite a man with his daughter, you know, cause for him, it's also like, you know, he's saving his father and he's letting his father go without being able to tell anybody that like, he's not able to confide with anyone. You know, he already did it with joy and joy's gone. And so there's nobody else that he can talk to about that, where he can truly express like, you know, to me, this man is my father and I have to let him go to be with his real daughter. And I love that. And I love that he also dies in the end. And then it's mm-hmm. sort of like a mirror of how bad he died in um, the first one, because, you know, his death was very sad and very melancholy where he realizes that he truly meant nothing in the grand scheme of things, you know, all those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain, but Kay dies on the steps with the snow around him, um, which may or may not be a metaphor, but I read somewhere where somebody's like, you know, it's as if his act of good, his act of courage, saving Deckard and reuniting him with his daughter and going completely against his programming is something that will be frozen in time forever and that's like you know the snow kind of represents that where where roy batty like his memories are washed away because nobody will ever know his experience and his story deckard will never forget what Kay did for him even if he never truly understands like what he meant to Kay as a person and i I just really love that how how they did not have to get that deep with the story but somebody on the writing team, somebody behind the scenes is like, no, let's make a good story. And I really love that. True. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. Like they went a route where it was thought provoking and interesting and it kept you engaged throughout. Cause there's that like basic plot line of him uncovering what's the truth behind this. And so it's somewhat of a detective story that you could uh, get interested in, but then it's all those, philosophical things behind it that elevate it and yeah the whole idea of him starting to think that he's going to be special and have meaning in life to find out that that's not the case and then still being able to choose well I'm going to go against my programming anyway I'm going to reunite this guy with his true daughter that is making something of his life like that is going against programming, figuring out his own way in life, finding out how he can be helpful, be meaningful without it being 
something that he was ordered to do or made to do. So in a way, he was able to be special or have a special effect on the world around him, which is super cool. And I love that you brought up the whole thing about Joy and how, yeah, she was the closest thing to him. But at the end of the day, she was programmed to do exactly the things that she did. And so whatever connection they had, however real it felt to him, wasn't special. And so he had to had to sort of reconcile with that and see if he would be able to do what Joy wasn't able to do and break out of that programming, find a way to truly be special um, instead of just like a boilerplate person going around doing what he was instructed to do. So that was super cool. Uh, what would you guys think of Joy overall, though? Did you ever think there was like a hint of consciousness in her since, for example, she did that thing where she tried to bring in a physical person and then layer herself on top of, uh, I forget the name of the actual character, but uh, layer herself on top of her in order to have an actual physical intimate moment with Kay. Which is just so, it looks so cool. Yes, like those like, effects, that whole hologram effect, yeah, stunning, absolutely stunning. But yeah, did that ever strike either of you as, oh, is there something more here where, like, yeah, her program was this, but maybe there was a way where she was coming into her own and having her own consciousness and was really feeling these feelings as a person would, or was that also still just part of the program and her being really good at executing that program? Um, I'll let Dylan talk because I did a whole rant there. Um, I think that's like the mystery and we're in Kay's position trying to figure that out because the whole time we're looking at it from his perspective where she is engaging and it seems very personal, like, a, like an actual connection is being formed between the two of them. And then she is killed and he sees the advertisement for her and it is it is very similar to the things that she's saying and it's just a program and he knows that she's just a program. And he even talks to her about those kind of problems. And I think in the end, there's no way to possibly know. And of course, in his case, he just assumes he's in a very dark place in this moment. He just assumes, you know, that it was never special. It was never real and that he's alone right now. And he's very upset and in a very dark moment. And I feel like for us as the audience, we can never really know as well. Like there's no way of telling whether or not, she was ever conscious with him if she if it was a real personal connection. And I think that's the sadness of it is not being able to truly know. That's true. But at the same time, in reality, when you have a, a relationship with someone, you know, they could be lying. It's a very dark thing to think, but a very insecure thing to think. But yeah, they could be lying and you could also never really know. And so what's the difference between having that connection with Joy, whether she was a real connection or if she was just an AI created to uh, mimic that sort of experience he still got something out of it i don't think there's anything wrong with that you know that's true i mean yeah that's an interesting point and i think that as well adds on to what i think they were going for there which is to maintain that ambiguity to make us really question where does the humanity lie is someone that isn't a natural organic human able to display humanity which obviously they touch on with the replicant stuff and so i think it's interesting that they went one layer deeper and had these programs that everyone treats as ai everyone recognizes as ai but yet they also have those humanistic qualities like when she was out in the rain and you could see it 
touching her hands almost. Um, and it's like, okay, was that a real tactile experience she was having? Having, And if so, like, what does that mean? Is she able to really reach that level of humanity that we see Rachel end up hitting and Kay seeming to hit by bringing out, breaking out of their programming and being individuals? I think it's an interesting and very subtle way that they go about trying to explore that theme even more. So again, it's one of those things that it's a very slow moving understated film and elements like that i think make it really rich on rewatch which at some point soon i want to go ahead and watch it again because this i feel the same way about the original blade runner which is you and i talk, uh dylan talked about one time before is every time you watch it it gets better and you understand more and, and you're able to connect more and so i'm still at that stage where i want to watch it more and find more of those connections that I'm yeah. missing now. And I think that'll help my experience mm-hmm. go up even more. It's because they're movies that make you like really, really think. Like You cannot just turn your brain off and watch them. Yeah. You have to really think about it. And the more times you watch it, the more you're thinking about it. And the more you remember from the times before and the more you see. It's just It gets more and more rich every time you watch it, which is such a special thing for a movie to have. No, definitely. You... That that's like I said, that's honestly you can definitely get that from like a lot of indie films, I think, and a lot of like lower budget films, because it seems like those kinds of stories that really make you think um, are appealing at a lower budget level because executives think like, eh, well, we'll make our money back anyway, because there's not that much money in it. But for like a big budget movie, it's so rare to have a plot that's beyond just something straightforward. And like a studio actually letting you, you know, like you were saying, like it actually you think about the movie while you're watching it and it forces you to pay attention to it as opposed to it just existing. And then like, you know, you formulate your own thoughts on it and uh, it's it's just so fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Okay. And then I also wanted to pick your guys' brains about the character Love and what you feel she represents if we're talking about on a like thematic level now what was this film trying to explore and what questions was it trying to raise what do you think the character love which was like the antagonist functionally in the film what role was she serving thematically i think love represents like sort of on the one hand she's kind of the opposite of k where all she does is really follow orders and do what um wallace wants you know it's like she's hunting down um deckard and they're trying to figure out how to make replicants that can actually give birth to children so that they can create a race of people as opposed to having to just make them like mechanically so he can feel like he's above everybody else and also money um but and on the other hand i think she also represents like the true horror of replicants like what happens when you keep designing them and remaking them to the point where all you're trying to do is reach perfection and then you actually have a replicant that you have deemed as your perfect creation up until that point because that kind of seems like that's where she holds herself and that seems like the kind of thing that wallace is telling her where to her she is his perfect career. I mean, she's good enough that he named her, you know, like Kay right. says, which is such a subtle line. 
but I love it so much because it's like we have established up to this point that the replicants don't have names. It's like they have serial numbers. And if you're lucky, you know, you make a name out of that or somebody else gives you a name for yourself. And so I think she represents like sort of the corruption of the replicants because we've shown that in the first film, they have sort of this, um, like you said, artificial intelligence, the ability to think for themselves and like defy their creator. And she's the exact opposite. She is so obsessed with being perfect and making sure she's doing what she perceives as what Wallace wants her to do, you know? And then in the end she pays for it because the fact of the matter is that she's not perfect because there, she's not like K because K has humanity and K has more drive, which I really love. Like in the final battle, we already mentioned as from my perspective, she loses that fight because her drive is not a humane one. K's drive is to save a man who he sees as his father figure and somebody who has been wronged by not having the time with his daughter that he deserves. So for Kay, he is saving somebody for her. She's just doing a job. She's doing, she's just doing this awful thing that to her, she doesn't even perceive it as awful necessarily. It's just something she does. And so I think that that's maybe another layer to it is she represents the replicants completely devoid of humanity. Whereas Kay represents the replicants at their most humane level. Gotcha. Dylan, what about you? I mean, I, I can't put it better than that. I feel like those are very, <laughs> very spot on to what they're trying to go for. I think she's definitely supposed to be like the perfect child and also very much the subservient replicant that has no, uh, like, of course she has outside thoughts, but like, like her own independent thoughts, but she is in that quest of, like her in independent thought is, the quest to be the perfect replicant, which is within the realm of the subservience that she's supposed to be exhibiting towards Wallace. And I feel like that is part of what makes her so dangerous and so powerful, but also part of her downfall is that she is so subservient and not independent in what she thinks at all. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I have a different take, which is pretty much the opposite take. Cause I was asking that, question like i wrote in the script i was like is she serving wallace or her own goals and what would those goals be and so to me i think there's a little bit of uh parallelism with her and Kay, in that both of them do think of themselves as special like you guys were talking about the perfect child uh and so i think that doesn't mean that she's trying to be overly hard in subservience but is trying to find this replicant child because she thinks that'll make her like essentially the god of the replicants or the overlord of the replicants. If she's able to deliver this replicant child who is now able to create a new race of replicants, and she did that. She's the one that brings the child home, kills Wallace, overthrows him, and is able to start the new replicant uprising or whatever. Um, they don't dig too deep into what her actual goals are, which again, I like that they're able to maintain this ambiguous. ambiguity. Yeah, so that you could think, oh, is it her serving Wallace, which it could be, or is it her, like, feigning subservience to Wallace in order to get to her own goals, which is to find this child and then do whatever she wants to do, make a new race of replicants and fight for her own kind or something like that. And Because to me, she's, like, very, which I guess could be read as her 
really wanting to impress Wallace and fit in, but we never really see a scene of her doing that, like mm-hmm. deferring to Wallace and being like, hey, look at what I just did. Like, I just hunted down this guy. Like, I just got Decker. Do you want to show me any admiration or anything? Um, she's very passionate in going after them and doing all those things. Like, she was very vicious in killing um, Robin Wright's character. Uh <laughs> like very angry and doing that stuff bringing up the stuff about lying um like her saying oh you thought everything was going to be okay here because we can't lie right and then she immediately is like yeah i'm about to lie so (laughs) i think it's interesting that she was so passionate about all that stuff and it to me seems like it could be because she is latching onto this idea of the replicant child as the way that she can be extremely special and recognized as special and i feel like she'd get more of that if she got the praise and admiration of all these replicants that she's now the liberator of rather than just from the one single person the creator wallace so yeah but that's an interesting point that it could really be either way and they do leave it up to interpretation Mm -hmm. Um, but i think that adds an interesting shade to it as well that certainly she does see herself similar to Kay as something special a replicant mm-hmm. that's not just your average uh replicant yeah 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 actually i really like that theory I and yeah like you said it's great because they leave it ambiguous enough that you get the sense of her character but you can also form your own your own ideas about what she represents and what she wants which is great exactly um and then are there any other things you guys want to bring up i did think the whole deckard thing of having him not be like the most prominent thing in the film he shows up mm-hmm. in the last hour of it that and was yeah like i thought that was really well done mm-hmm. and the way that they had his whole thing being like i needed to make sure that the kid this child was safe so i had to be as distant as possible very tragic thing that he had to do <laughs> but even now even when he got captured and they were going to send him off world to torture or something was that right yeah Um, something like that yeah spooky um he still was absolutely refusing to give any sort of information although at that point it's been so many years would he have any would he have known where his like kid was how much information could he have given them about i mean at the very least he would know who she is yeah I was thinking, yeah, probably like something along those lines. Like, of in course, I don't think do he mean? knows. I don't think he knows where she is or what she's doing, but I think he knows, like, who, she, like, how, like the 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 identification. Well, she doesn't have an identification number, but like her, uh, like, what she looks like, what her her birth name was, what the name they gave her wasn't that. Like, because who hides her? It's the it's the underground replicants, right? He helped. He, yeah. he explains that he um he helped scramble the records so that when mm-hmm. they did escape, that it would be harder to find them. So it's implied that he had known her at some point, very briefly, or at least knew of her. But she was like very young at that point, right? Yes, very. Like when they had to scramble the records or whatnot, yeah. Because that was twenty twenty two is when um that happened. Scary. So. So yeah, it was a good 27, yeah. <laughs> Spooky. So it was a good 27 <laughs> years before the movie takes place. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe there'll be a blackout coming up soon. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. 
all digital information before 2022 was lost. Horrifying. We're going to have to restart our podcast, Dylan. Oh, no. And re-record those episodes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that was a very interesting role that he served in the film. And the one other major thing that I wanted to mention was just, I liked how this wasn't overly reliant on the original film. It certainly mm -hmm. adds to it very much, but like there is a case where you could go into this film and still get the gist of the world and you wouldn't have needed to see the original in order for it to make sense or at least for most of the things that they're exploring here and the character arc of k for instance like that would still translate so i thought that was an interesting approach to this sequel which is also probably part of why it wasn't well received but still a very beautiful film and I love the approach that they did end up taking with it and that they were able to have such a big budget to explore all those ideas. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely agree. I I love sequels that do not care if you've seen the original. <laughs> if it's like this far later and they're like we don't care if you've seen the original, here's this story, there are elements from the original in it. If you get it, that's good for you. If you don't, we're not explaining it. So yeah, and I and yeah, and I already talked in the very first bit about how I love the subtlety of the elements that they brought back, which you also mentioned. Like they have the guy doing origami, and I again I love that scene because it, it serves as a metaphor for K. But it's like you know they're not in your face about it being him. They don't like tell you his name and have like a line from the original in there to just be like, remember when this happened? You're right, exactly. <laughs> It's like Jurassic World. Stay perfectly still. Stop. And all, all roads come back to that line. It does. Apparently, apparently. Dylan, anything else that you wanted to mention about 2049? I just absolutely love this movie. Uh, yeah. I think it's fantastic. I can't wait to build out my sound system so that I can fully experience <laughs> it again. I think it'll be fantastic. To, to, it'll be one of the movies that will be great to watch. This and like Lawrence of Arabia or something uh i just love it i think it's all done so well i think it's peak uh filmmaking on all fronts cinematography set design costuming acting directing writing i think it's all everybody's just working at their best in this movie and so it just comes out so fantastic as scorsese Absolutely. would say this is cinema <laughs> this is cinema <laughs> indeed all right awesome do we want to do we want to put this to a star rating scale out of five? Five. I mean, yeah. What I should like it be? We have to do say. a special thing, though. Instead of stars, we make it a special thing. What should it be? Five dead five... Robin Wrights. No. <laughs> <laughs> of her getting her head bonked as she's dead. Yeah. Five, di five... five dead Robin Wrights getting dropped off the table. <laughs> out of five wooden Wooden horse. horses, yeah. There you go. There you five go. wooden horses. I'll give it a full five wooden horses. Wow, spectacular. Owen. I'll give it I'll give it a full five wooden horses as well. I mean, yeah, it had to be. It's like your like top three. Yeah. I'm giving it a four point five wooden horses. In ten again, years close. it'll be five wooden horses, I guess. Again, you. yeah. The original Blade Runner still isn't a full five yet for me either. But again, it's there. gonna keep climbing, I'm sure. So at some point. I think the we'll original for the me is probably at a four point five, but I bet if I watch one more time it'll bump up to a five. Yeah. But this one's definitely at a five. It was at a five yeah. when I first watched it. Loved yeah. it. Yeah, I need great. another viewing to bump it up. But in a theater, yeah, there you go. If you watch exactly. it in a theater, yeah, that'll, that'll be the one that'll five. do it. Can the original Blade Runner two? That would be awesome to see that in the like yeah, the final that opening cut in shot. The theater. Oh, 
Mm. Do you guys know how they did that opening shot? Yeah, they did like a bunch of multiple passes, like re-exposing yeah. the same film a bunch of times. Yeah. So, so they, they didn't get any degradation because normally you do multiple mm-hmm. passes on different film strips. But for that movie, the guy's like, I don't want that. I want it to look good. So he's like, we're going <laughs> to use the same piece of film for our passes. And that's why that movie looks bussin'. <laughs> yeah, 100%. All right, well, that's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make suggestions for the movie of the week, which we haven't done in a very long time, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk about Uncharted. I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much, Owen, for coming here. We had a great time talking with you. I'll always love talking about Blade Runner 2049. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to meet you, too. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. All right, well, goodbye, guys. Thank you, you all, for coming. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we got to come up with a better way to end these shows, Ryan. What do you mean? I mean, that was fine. Go you could have just said, you just cut it off there. He goes, thanks for having me, and then that's it. You already said goodbye. He said, you should just leave this next part week. in. <laughs> it is still recording. Why is it? Yeah. <laughs> This is our eternal goodbye. Is us yeah. figuring out how to say goodbye better. It'll never end. Yeah, we'll just keep talking. And then the show will just keep going on. And it'll be a three-hour show. It just never gets uploaded. <laughs> it just never gets there. Yeah. But yeah, it was fine. You could have cut it off when he said it was great being here. Right, it's we'll still it recording, which goodbye, is the funniest guys. part. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>